Thank you, Sandra. I should mention, while I'm on leave, uh, there'll be two Sundays I won't be here, but uh, Reg is preaching on the 10th of uh, January, but I caught up for a coffee with, I don't know if anyone knows Ben Penrose, he, he's one of the elders at uh, Gospel Chapel, uh, I did some study with Ben, uh, he's going to come and preach for us on the 3rd of January, so uh, it's nice to see some local churches uh, yeah, helping each other out, so that's wonderful. Well, let's pray, and we're going to have a look at this, uh, at this Song of Simeon a bit closer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, Christmas and all that you've revealed about it. Thank you for the, yeah, for the great joy and peace and, uh, and just the wonderful realities and the promises that are fulfilled as we see uh, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. And, and Lord, as we reflect on this passage this morning, we pray that you'll open our eyes, that we'll be faithful to it, and that we will go away both convicted and encouraged. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm hoping you've heard of Michael Jordan. Um, I don't use sports illustrations too much because I've been told not to. Because uh, <laughs> you get rid of half your congregation usually. Uh, but Michael Jordan, he was the best uh, NBA, the National Basketball Association uh, player in the US uh, for many, many, many years. And until 1997, well, that's when he was undisputably uh, the leading player at Till, but he was never the highest paid player. And when asked why he, uh, why he did not do what so many others players, players do, that's hold out on contracts until they get more money, Michael Jordan replied this. He said, I've always honoured my word. I went for security. I had six-year contracts, and I always honoured them. People said I was underpaid, but when I signed on the dotted line, I gave my word. Three years later, after several highly visible players reneged on their contracts, a reporter asked uh, Michael once again about being underpaid. And he explained that if his kids saw his dad breaking a promise, how could he continue training them to keep their word? By not asking for a contract renegotiation, Michael Jordan spoke volumes to his children. He told them, you stand by the word even when you might go, it, it might go against you. Whether or not someone keeps promises, whether they keep their contracts, whether they keep commitments, says a great deal about their character. And when someone honours promises, when there is a personal cost involved, well then that shows a great deal of integrity. Now this morning we're going to consider Simeon's Christmas song. And it's a song about God's commitment to his promises, even when those promises came at a great personal cost. And the first thing that we see in this passage that Sandra read is that uh, God's promises are being remembered. So in the context of Luke's uh, book and birth narrative, if you like, uh, last week we looked at how the angel visited Mary and the angel said to her, you are highly favoured, you will be with child, how will this be? I'm a virgin, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be with child. And uh, we're told, uh, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. A great faith in the promise that was made to Mary. And Mary broke out in a wonderful song uh, about God's mighty deeds and about God's mighty, uh, mighty uh, 
remembering, if you like, of his promises. But now here we have uh, these promises are being remembered by Mary and Joseph. You see, Mary has given birth, remember, in an animal shelter. She laid him in an animal's feeding trough. Trough. The announcement has been made by the angels to lowly shepherds, just as Mary was a lowly person. And they go away praising God and spreading the good news about the Messiah being born. But now we're talking about religious observances that are being kept by Mary and Joseph. And in doing this, these religious observances are actually saying God's promises are continually being remembered. See, to fully understand the significance of Simeon's song, it's important for us to understand what's happening with these religious observances at the beginning of this passage. According to Jewish law, a woman became ceremonially unclean when she gave birth to a child. Male babies had to be circumcised on the eighth day, and we saw in verse 21 that that's what they did. And this is uh, a sign of the promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis. Genesis 12, then Genesis 15. And uh, it's all re- reaffirmed. And the outward, obser- the outward sign of that promise, of that covenant that God made with his people, was circumcision. And so they had Jesus circumcised as a reflection that they trusted God's promises. Now a covenant committed by the Lord to establish his own people in their own land, and to be a blessing to the nations around them. That's what that promise was, land, people, and blessing. Well, Mary and Joseph faithfully did this. And then the angel, uh, and then they gave, gave him the name Jesus, which was the name that the angel had given her before she was even pregnant. She hadn't even conceived yet. And, uh, and you know, none of these baby book names, not on the internet for nine months trying to figure out whether uh, apple or orange is the name for our baby Uh, but no it was easy for them Um, but in faith they give the name jesus well leviticus 12 1 to 6 then tells us that after the circumcision of the the mother of the male child was considered unclean for another 33 days she then had to go to the temple and submit an offering for purification of a lamb. Now, if they couldn't afford a lamb, they could do two, uh, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, which we're told in the passage here is what Mary did. So we know that she was a poor woman. Now, the reason she did that, we're told, is for her atonement. Now, atonement means the animal sacrifice took the punishment on behalf of your impurities so that you were cleansed before the Lord and that you were reset, if you like, so that you were able to come into the presence of God. But you had to do this over and over again. It wasn't just childbirth, but in all, there was atonement for all of Israel. Uh, There were days of atonement, and atonement was a big reality of sacrificing an animal in order to pay the price for your sin it was an important part of the ritual of the Jewish life. In addition, the firstborn son was then to be presented to the Lord with a price to buy him back. 
So the action of buying someone back is called redemption. So the firstborn in Israel, all the firstborn children and the firstborn animal, male children and male animals, rightly belonged to God. Now bear with me, this is really good background to understand what's happening here in Luke's narrative. So it goes back to the Exodus. Uh, when Israel was saved from slavery, uh, Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go and worship him, so he sent ten plagues, and that last plague was a plague of death over all the firstborn males throughout Egypt, if you remember. Now, for Israel, they were allowed to sacrifice a lamb and then on the door frames put uh, on that day of... The, the night that the, the, the angel of death, if you like, would pass over, God himself passed over to bear the punishment upon Egypt. And if they had sacrificed properly and had that on their door frames, the blood, then God would pass over that household. So he had already saved the children of Israel, the firstborn sons of Israel, from that death. And so immediately after this salvation from Egypt, we're told in Exodus 13.1, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. So effectively, God was the, the owner, if you like, of all the firstborn males, Rightly so, because of the cost and the, and, the, and the salvation from Israel. So God had saved the Israelites out of Egypt and the payment was his ownership of all the firstborn males. Now in order to redeem the firstborn, there needed to be paid a price. And so the price is found in numbers. And this is what's happening here. Mary and Joseph have presented their firstborn son, Jesus, to God in the temple and it would have come with a price. Uh, Numbers 18, 15, 16 says, The first offspring of every womb, both human and animal, that is offered to the Lord is yours. But you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. When they are a month old, you must redeem them at, redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 giras. See, salvation from Egypt, the Exodus, had a cost. And the cost was the firstborn sons of Israel. That was the price determined by the Lord of salvation. To redeem that son, you paid the amount determined by the Lord. And so these, these rituals that we're seeing here in Mary and Joseph aren't just something that, oh, look, they're being nice religious people. They are remembering the promises that God has made. All these acts were looking forward to a final redemption and looking forward to a final purification when they didn't have to go over and over and over to the temple to be redeemed. The promise of the Saviour, the Messiah, the Lord of all. In fact, Deuteronomy 18.18 18, uh, let me just look that up. Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, as God is, uh, is speaking to Moses, there's a great prophecy about the Messiah. 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So the first five books, all about the law and the sacrificial, are all about purification and all about uh, how, to, how to make sin right again, the relationship right again between God and his people because of the sin. And it all had a great cost. Why? Because God had promised that he would, uh, that he would save his people. He had made promises of a land, a people and a blessing, all to live with God as God had created them to live. So the first part of this is, is really important as we go on and we look at uh, the promises that have been revealed that, uh, that Simeon is now about to sing about. Uh, we need to understand what those, what those sacrificial rites are so that we can understand them. So if you have a look uh, at the next section in just verses 25 uh, onwards, uh, to, I'll read to verse 28. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now I'll just stop there uh, for a moment. See, Simeon declares that this promised Messiah has arrived. Here we have a very devout and religious man. He was a very true Israelite, you may say. He had been waiting and waiting. The Holy Spirit, we're told, had been upon him. Now, this is before Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. Uh, to be on someone is very much an anointing on their life of something special. And he'd been told to wait that he would see this promised Messiah before, before his death. Now, likely he was old. We're not t told that. But he's probably been waiting most of his life. Uh, and that's when he says, it's now time you can release your servant, uh, he says in the next verse. Uh, it's probably because he's, he's an older fella and he's been waiting and waiting and, and crying out to God for this. But notice how personal this encounter is. This is a very personal reality for Simeon. He has been waiting on the promises of God. Now someone this week, uh, I think it was someone here, mentioned uh, when I was talking about Mary last week, they said, <clears throat> had you thought much about, they'd been reflecting on the fact that Mary was holding God in her arms now that's a quite a remarkable thought when you think of this idea that god as a baby is being held in the arms of his creation and i think when i think of a mother holding a baby in their arms there's a great bond and mary the mother of jesus well you know i, I think there's something very special about that but right here we're told simeon took jesus in his arms just let that sit with you for a while think about that 
the promised Saviour, Messiah, God in the flesh, our Emmanuel. Here is this man who's been led to the temple, has been led to this couple. He recognises that this is the one that he had been told he would, uh, would be born before uh, he died. And he has taken him into his arms. Now that act of humility by God is something we need to reflect on. Not only did God come in the flesh, but the very ones that he came for, the ones he created that had turned against him, he was at their complete mercy. You think about that. Holding the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of all things in the arms of the created. Now that is a great act of humility. I would like to see any other religion that claims anything that comes close to that. They can't because they can't conceive of a God who would ever do that. That's why Christmas is so special. It's the greatest act of humility to come in the flesh but to be held in the arms as a child which is dependent on the humanity that has turned against him, well, that's quite remarkable. And then Simeon breaks out into song. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. See, God's promised Messiah has been revealed. Simeon says he is looking at God's salvation. Almost seems ridiculous. You're looking at a baby and you're declaring that you're looking at God's salvation. But notice he says it isn't just for him. And it isn't just for the Israelites, but verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So the Israelites were always meant to be a blessing to the Gentiles. And now we know the true Israelite, the one who fulfilled God's law on behalf of all Israelites, on behalf of all of humanity, has been sent not just for Israel, but all who will have faith in him. All humanity, a blessing to all nations. The very one that promises, the very one that the prophecies pointed to here in, is in Simeon's arms. Isaiah 9 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on, his, on, his, on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The Holy Spirit is on Simeon. I have no doubt there will be prophecies flowing through his head. There will be great joy because he can see the fulfilment and the revelation of all those promises now being held in his arms. And he says, 
you may now dismiss me. What else do you need? What else do you need to know in your life? This is why Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You can dismiss me. I am ready to come home. I'm ready to leave this life because the promises of God have been fulfilled. Because the future is certain, the future is sure. God has proven once and for all he is faithful. Dismiss your servant in peace. All that waiting that Simeon encountered and went and, and persevered in. Probably nights and days questioning, am I being a little odd? Am I really? Is this real? Lord, is it real? Yes, it is. Okay, I'll keep waiting. And here it is. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. It's a wonderful moment. So God's, God's promises uh, were remembered by the purification rites and the presentation of Jesus. Is these promises were fully revealed in this one child who is now in Simeon's arms. But then Simeon goes on to cost these promises. See, seeing God's promises remembered and fulfilled is one thing, but to understand the cost to keep those promises is another. Have a look at verses 33 to 35. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. See, Simeon isn't holding this baby and getting carried away by how cute it is. He's not going, oh, I want to give you, I bless you with prosperity and, and, and happiness and laughter and, and many good things in your life. Now he turns to Mary and he says this life comes with a great cost. It comes with a great disruption. The cost of fulfilling God's promises will be filled with trouble, filled with the falling and rising of many in Israel. It will be a sign that will be spoken against, blasphemed against. The true thoughts and the true hearts of people are going to be revealed as they come face to face with God himself. And a sword will pierce Mary's heart too. See, Jesus was a disruptor. He disrupted the corruption. He disrupted the oppression. He disrupted the culture where it strayed against God's heart. He called out and he revealed those who were driven by power, by pride and prestige. He put the last first and the first last. He gave women a voice. He healed a blind man over and over blind men. He forgave rather than condemned. He philosophically exposed the hypocrisy of those with knowledge. As he was confronted and spoken against, he revealed the hearts of those who were trying to use God's word in vain. He was compassionate, yet resolute. He gave voice to those who had been silenced, and he shut the mouths of those who had been given a voice. And all this came at a great cost. Rejection, 
beating, mockery, agony, and eventually death on a cross. And I am sure that any mother that loses a son in any circumstances goes through a great piercing of the heart with a sword. And Mary is no different as she sees her innocent son beaten, rejected, mocked, spat upon, the innocent hung on a cross to die an excruciating death. Why? Because he is the saviour of the world. God in the flesh. Because he is love. See, keeping promises comes with a cost and for God that was leaving heaven to live amongst the brokenness of our world. A world you created for other things. It was the cost of humility coming to serve, even be held in the arms of your own creation. It was the cost of suffering in the hands of sinful men. But don't think God reluctantly bore this cost. Don't think he goes, oh, I've made this promise, now I'm going to have to suffer for it. Now this is a cost he went willingly to bear because the love that he has for his people, his children, goes beyond anything that suffering can annihilate because that is the cost of love that never lets go. It's the cost of making a promise and seeing it through for those you love because you can see a better day, a day where everything will be made new, where justice is served, mercy is given and grace is distributed. See, God willingly came to the earth to be held in Simeon's arms, to be born in a manger, to live a life of confrontation and disruption and to go to the cross because he loves you. Simply because he loves you. And Christmas is a great reminder of that because God is committed to his promises and whatever the cost, he will see it through. The great hymn says, Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, that love to know. Gracious Spirit from above, thou hast taught me it is so. O oh, this full and perfect peace, O oh, this transport all divine. In a love which cannot cease, I am his, and he is mine. In a love which cannot cease, I am his, and he is mine. His forever, only his. Who the Lord and me shall part? Ah, with what a rest of bliss, Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee, firstborn light in gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And as Simeon held the Lord Jesus in his arms and saw the salvation in the flesh, saw the promises uh, fulfilled in his arms, Lord, we see that your, your commitment to us goes far beyond anything that we can imagine. Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you 
were, came to this earth to tabernacle amongst us, to tent amongst us, to take the flesh of humanity. And Father God, thank you that the Lord Jesus willingly went to that cross, bore the pain of our sin, cried in anguish in Gethsemane, and hung from that cross with the great love of forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. Help us to be like that, Lord. Help us to be forgiving. Help us to be loving. Help us to reflect just a minute, a moment of this great character of our Lord Jesus. Father, give us a heart that is like him so that we can proclaim you this Christmas and bring great joy to those in our life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.